You're listening to the Cash News Podcast with Tom Meehan and Sean Ferrari. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cash News Podcast. As always, Sean in the window next to me in the, in the Hollywood Square next to me. Hello. And, uh, Hello, Tom. Good to see you. Thanks, you. everybody, for listening. Another glorious day here in Northern Virginia. Warm. Spring is coming. Yeah. It is uh, 70 degrees, I think, right now in northern New Jersey. Uh, and so I am home today. So if we hear background noise, dog, we, we'll do the precursor. At any time, a dog could bark in either place. A child could come into play. Uh, and because it's spring, you might even hear activities outside. So we, we, we like to say that. Um, I think when we started the podcast during COVID, it was an expectation. But we, we tape all over the place. As you know, Sean and I tape live together sometimes. I mean, I, I mean, I think I've taped from foreign countries. I think we've all, I think we, we kind of get, we're all used to that now. So lots going on, Sean. I mean, I, I'm going to, yeah. I don't normally do this, but I think it, it adds relevance. Today is April 13th. So you might not hear this episode for two weeks, but because the episode that was released this week was on inflation um, and uh, we taped it actually, I think a week or two before that. Um, I think we'll talk a little bit about that because some numbers came out the day we episode it, uh, the episode released. And I think we've got some current events to talk about. Probably won't be that long of a podcast. And then I think you're doing some speaking this week. I um, am. Yeah. No, I'm doing some, yeah. I'm doing some speaking this week. And in a couple of days, I'm headed up to my alma mater, um, Connecticut College, where I graduated in 2000. So over 20 years ago. God. That is depressing, but nonetheless, I am I am going back there uh, to to sit on a roundtable and talk a little bit about digital currency, highlight some of the the what's go, mostly what's going on with um, CBDCs. Uh, they've got a, a good panel put together, so I'm gonna gonna highlight some of the topics we covered at the digital currency conference a couple a couple weeks ago in in Washington. Which, by the way, continue to go and download the video from the digital currency conference if you would like to hear a full day's worth of content on digital currency so you can go to the currency research website to do that and use the code sean and tom with the and sign in the middle sean and tom and you get uh 50 off the purchase price so yeah a couple of people have gone downloaded it we've seen a couple of people come and download the the banknote one for for a week's worth of discussion on banknotes um, so continue to do that. It's still out there and available to create a crazy discount code, Sean and Tom, as we always say, if you use our name, you can get in restaurants, you get discounts. I mean, all you have to do is say, do you know who Sean and Tom is? But then, and we're, we're good. But this code is, I, I think, first of all, I, I was there, so I was not there all day Friday. So I'm going to have to watch the videos for Friday, but I was there and, um, we will do some teasers on the podcast. And as we said a couple of weeks ago, We'll have the keynote. And, and, and as always, you know, the podcast is a, a delivery method to get some of the great content currency research does. So we will have some of that here, but certainly couldn't fill um, the whole entire week's worth of content. And it is, is phenomenal content. If you're listening to this podcast, the content is for you. That's what I tell everybody. It's not for everybody, but it's definitely for the folks that are listening to this podcast. Um, and I think... Uh, it's exciting to hear that people are using the code. I know, I know you and I talk about that people would, but um, certainly Sean and Tom use that code. Uh, and uh, Sean, where do they go to get the video? Just because this is yeah, a podcast. Yeah so, yeah, so if they go to uh, currencyresearch.com, um, they can find it through our, our website there. We can, 
we can put some other bit.ly links out there or whatever, but if you just go to currencyresearch.com uh, and there'll be some, some graphics on there that'll lead you to that. There's also actually, while we're talking about digital currency, there's also a free um, three-part report. We've released the first part um, on central bank digital currencies, um, kind of the technology behind them, what makes them run, what the different options are. So really in-depth stuff. Um, but we've released the, the first of three uh, issues of this, which was actually, this one, was, we do it in partnership with Lipus Advisors. Um, and this one was sponsored by Ripple. Um, so feel free to, to go and just, again, go to the Currency Research website and download it. Um, it's free. Have at it. Um, yeah, and we'll definitely, we'll definitely probably in an upcoming episode, talk about the report and kind of give the Sean and Tom brief overview of it, which is always interesting. So, yeah, you know, you know what, Tom, get... wait, one more thing, what? one more thing. I just thought of this and given, you know, we're on a little bit of a delay when we publish these, I'm going to break news. Here it comes. Breaking uh -oh. news. On the this Cash the News Podcast. The I know. third it, time it, we've done real breaking it, news. It happens. Breaking news. I am going to announce the location and rough time frame of our next digital currency conference. And it's not out there yet. We have not said where it is until now. Um, of course, there's a couple of weeks delay, so it may come out between now and then. But as of this recording, <laughs> it has not broken. So we're going to be in Mexico City in uh, May of next year. Uh, for the next digital currency conference. It'll be a, a multi-day event this time. Um, and we're, we're looking forward to it. Uh, partnering I have with a feeling a that I'll folks. be there. I have, I, have, I have a feeling that I might be there. We might actually be taping the podcast. And we could, yes. In, in Mexico, enjoying nachos. Enjoying nachos. nachos. It's nacho problem, exactly. Yes, yes. Exactly. I, think, I, think, I think that there's a high likelihood that I will be there as long as I'm not already somewhere else which is sometimes complicated for, for us, but uh, yeah. And um, I could potentially be talking about something that we talk about in the podcast. So it, it's uh, yes. it, it, always that chance. So breaking news, you heard it here first. You remember the code. This is now the third breaking news uh, piece that we've had. We're going to have to do a breaking news episode of all the things that have yeah. actually been introduced here in, in the currency cash payment sphere of the, I know. the things it's, that it's non-stop information and news and and i think non we we so, will have to have the 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 audio ready to play behind us next time we break some news of absolutely breaking that, news that's sounds. a good takeaway for our new producer chris <laughs> who i know is listening that we're gonna need some breaking news uh audio going and i think you know what we're gonna post produce and we take this weeks in advance we probably could even even put the audio on this we yeah, probably you know, could you never know watching us um, yeah uh, here, so a, a couple of things. One is, I think we're going to actually release a a, a a very brief document, and I'm I'm sure we'll figure out how to distribute it on our our inflation um, podcast that we just did. Um, it, it actually, I think, is really valuable with what's going on. So we're going to kind of do a, a little overview, and Sean and I will make sure you get it out in writing to kind of explain uh, inflation in plain English because. Um, over the last few weeks, even yesterday, um, Sean and I get to talk to a lot of people and there is a lot of misconceptions or confusion on inflation. And um, so I think it'll help. And um, it certainly has to do with what we talk about, especially when we talk about the cost of holding money and, and, and interest rates and what occurs. And obviously, um, we both are extremely involved in central banks. So we think that while I don't claim to be uh, an expert in inflation. I think Sean is, 
I would say Sean might be just based on his background, a little bit more knowledgeable about it. But I think the two of us have a different way to explain it that um, the person who's not in banking would add value for their, their day-to-day life. So we're going to release a short, probably thousand word, just kind of overview of what we talked about in the podcast. And we'll, we'll make sure that we get that out. That'll be getting out in the next couple of weeks. So probably pretty aligned with where we're talking. And then I want to talk about something that we do talk about often, but I think it's important to talk about it. So, um, you know, I saw, a, I'm not going to quote the article because it doesn't really matter because it's, it's, this has come up many times, but I saw a, an article from a reputable media, uh, you know, outlet that said peer to peer payments like, uh, uh, you know, Venmo cash, uh, PayPal, are booming so much that, you know, do you still need a bank was, was the implication. And the article is actually fairly accurate in the depiction, but we often hear this, Sean, and we often hear like, first thing we hear is the confusion between digital payments, central bank, digital currencies, cryptocurrency, digital, like, and so there's this whole digitization thing that's going on and has been for years. And there becomes crossover between online banking and a peer-to-peer payment app. So I use Zella as the example, like Zella is just really a connection, right? Like you're not either connecting a bank to banks and distributing money. PayPal, I, I think, and I'm not, I don't want to quote, I think PayPal is actually considered a bank at this point. I think they actually, I think they're, they have, as you can hear, the dogs are going crazy <laughs> in the background. Uh, why wouldn't they be? So they waited until we started really talking about something. Um, but um, I think when we talk about PayPal may actually BFDIC insured in some categories. I'm not 100% sure. So next podcast, I'll make sure I know that. But Cash App and Venmo and a lot of these other ones, there are a lot of misconceptions about it. And I think it's always um, kind of talking talking about like, when I hear someone say, I don't need a bank anymore because I don't use, because I use Zella or Venmo, my initial response is, well, then, you know, how are you going to get the money to the, the app? And then even more importantly, like, it, let's just say you really, we really um, were going to say, I'm going to try to limit my bank, but you still got to get your money in, into point A to point B. The peer-to-peer piece is really about uh, convenience. And I think the news has been through the roof on this post-COVID. And I don't know, Sean, it feels like we talk about it once a month, but um, you know, I, I, in this one, in this article, they, they had really great information about NerdWallet. And they, again, I, I think they really combined so many topics together and then they talked about fraud and refund policy so it was a great overview of all the things but peer-to-peer payment apps are not bank replacements am i missing something sean no no you're not um and sorry while i was while you were you were chatting there um i was just looking paypal up and no it is not it is not a bank still. Okay, good. Um, right, yeah, so I wasn't you, sure. You do need to connect it to a bank, but you can get a PayPal credit card, which is slightly different, but that may, that was what I was looking for right now to see if that runs through a, a separate bank, you know, like, um, yeah, uh, must be backed by some bank somewhere. Um, I just don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, I wasn't sure. I, I, I know that. Um, but no, they're not. PayPal, funds held in PayPal are not FDIC insured. They're not, um it's, it's like all the other ones. Um, so theoretically, uh, and I'm, I'm saying this reality wise here, cause I don't want to mislead the audience. I'm sure PayPal has some real great insurance and, and cut protection, but unlike a bank, if PayPal went away, you probably have to have a little right. bit of challenge to get your money back. 
where FDIC yeah. allows you right. a certain it is, level of protection. Yeah, it is not a bank. And the PayPal credit card is uh, run through Synchrony Bank. So, okay. So, um, so you would typical. need a, you, yeah, it's a typical. You would need a bank account through Synchrony uh, yeah. to have a PayPal credit card. Okay. Well, we've reached the conclusion on that. Um, but but no, I mean, I think your your points are right when it comes to the all these online. And we've talked about this before, but all of these um, fintech payment type apps that are out there. People a lot of times think that yeah, oh well, what do I need a bank for? But you can't do anything with these things unless they're attached to something as you were saying i mean they you know i even it was and it was weird i even made a, a venmo payment this past week and i had money in my venmo account and i'm sure i just missed a setting or something on there but rather than use the money i had in my account to make the payment it literally went and took more money out of my bank account um to make the payment which surprised me because i was like but i have all this money sitting in the venmo account so but Nonetheless, um, just an, another way of, of saying that, yeah, you, you, you can find ways maybe around some of it. Like, as you say, you know, you, maybe you can go to, a, I think Amazon's a good example where, um, you know, you can, you can make a purchase on Amazon by going to like a, an Amazon cash center, like at a 7-Eleven or whoever yep. runs those, where you can say, hey, put $50 on my Amazon account, um, but you're, <laughs> you're still you know, you have to go somewhere, you're taking cash and giving it to a merchant to then add on to your account to, to function in this digital economy without a bank in that case. So are there ways yeah. you can like work around it? Sure, but it's not easy. <laughs> no, um, and I think it doesn't replace a bank. So there, I'm going to read because I actually think that there's value in me saying this. So so in, in this article, this is a CNBC article. So I think it's important because if I'm quoting or talking about someone's article, I want to make sure. Great. It's actually really well written. It covers, it doesn't, there's no misinformation that I saw. It was the headline that I thought was humorous because it was like, click on me and it works, right? Because I read it and I'm talking about it. So kudos that just like Sean and Tom works, this works. <laughs> um, so one of the things it says is so that they have, they're, they're talking Venmo and PayPal um, and this, so I, I remember this now, uh, both, you know, uh, are both uh, PayPal or payment companies while Block formerly Square owns the cash shop. And these are now major companies. So the protection of FDIC insurance is not necessarily critical to the average person who isn't holding large amounts of cash in the first place. It's probably an accurate statement, right? If, if, if I have... Sure. You know, I don't know about you, but my Venmo might have $100 in it and probably never has more than $100 in it. And um, I'm not sure that I would put much more than that in it, you know, because why would I? So that statement's probably true, but it's also important that, again, that's not a bank replacement, right? If I wouldn't put my savings in there because it's backed by a large company, because we know large companies do run into challenges. So that that is statement. And, and then interestingly enough, there was another statement in the, the article that I do remember um, uh, and, uh, which was, when was the last time the FDIC insurance was needed? I certainly have not heard about that in quite some time. That was some, you know, a quote. So I think, I think all of us kind of would argue that same methodology about COVID or, or pandemics, right? Like 
I think four years ago, you would never have said like, oh, we might, we might actually have a pandemic, you know, even though it's there. So yeah. it's, but, it's an know, argument. It's a, it's an argument with all insurance, right? It's like, when was the last exactly. time I needed my homeowner's insurance? Well, you don't until your home burns down. So, you yeah. know, I, <laughs> well, that, and, that, and, and, and the dirty secret about insurance, is it a dirty secret, right? The way insurance companies make money is by assessing the risk, right? So they know the likelihood of your house catching on fire based on statistics. So that's how they, that's how they charge you. But if you do have a house fire and you don't have insurance, what you need to do is come up with somewhere between, you know, whatever, where, depending on where you live, a significant amount of money to cover it. So that 2000 or $3,000 a year you pay is certainly going to be worth the $700,000 that it's going to cost, yeah. you know, to replace and I would, you know, and I would venture to say that, you know, you don't know. I mean, there's banks do go out of business. I mean, it, it's look at the financial crisis in 2000 or excuse me, yeah 2008 um yep. you know banks go under um and, 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 it, in this and the only reason the only reason the system works really is is because it is insured right you know that if your bank does go under you will get your money it's not like yep. it's lost um yes. if you don't have that protection you might as well keep your well you're, you get interest in the bank but in in today's day and eight well all right, I'm undermining all the arguments. Interest rates are going up, but in the yeah. environment where interest <laughs> rates were really low, it, it you know. But, but what you just said is the whole reason why I bought up the art uh, the articles because there, it isn't actually an argument like a bank. A bank is I put up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars in it, and my money is a thousand percent safe. Like if the bank goes away, my money is there. So it, it, the argument or the comment that you made is actually why I, I bought the, the article up because well, I think the article is actually factually pretty true. I think there are definitely some assumptions. It, you're, you're comparing a snowmobile with, with a Ferrari. They're not the same. Like we're not comparing apples to apples. We're not even remotely. PayPal um, I, is not a bank. That's not what they do. They don't offer banking services. You're not going to buy your house with PayPal. It, it, you're not going to, you know, those things. So I think, um, I believe, and I know some of our listeners um, frown upon this because at, at, at the actual you know, banknote conference, some people were like, why are we talking so much about digital? Because it's important. It's important. There's, there is this reality of digitization and peer-to-peer payment apps are part of that. Digital currency is part of that. Cryptocurrency is part of that. It, it's yeah. the evolution of the way things are working. Yeah. And it, it's funny how people think of them different. Like I'll continue using the Venmo example, right? So I, I went in and then transferred the money that I had in there over to my bank account. So I was like, okay, well, let me go do that and just move it over. And, um, you know, that's free to do as long as you don't want it the next day, if you want three, three days later or whatever, it's free. And it, it's funny because it's like, it's, there's a button now or an ad that pops up in Venmo and it's like, convert it to crypto right here inside the Venmo app. Yeah. And it's like, okay. But it, then it got me thinking of like, but how really is that different than this is the whole electronic money thing, right? Like what, what is, yeah. especially when you're talking about a CBDC or a stable coin, you know, I'm like, I can convert it into digital money like I'm doing by transferring it to my bank. It is the same. I mean, it's, yeah. it is then electronic funds that I have access to however I want to use them. Uh, you know, so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's just another off ramp, but they're, they're all converting to electronic digital money just in a different form. <laughs> I, I think I, I, we talked about the debit card analogy you know, of like digital currencies, bank backed digital currencies, not cryptocurrencies right. are very, not very different than a debit card. Um, 
but you know, the debit card is not very different than a check when you start to, when you really break, break it down to that. So this is part of the evolution and this is the things we do want to talk about. I think, I think my goal always, when I talk about this is to make sure everybody who listens understands that there are risks and benefits of all of these things, you know, not one, but all of them, traditional banking has risks just like everything does. And, and, and there's no reason to pretend there isn't, but we, you know, um, using the analogy, you got to get your head out of the sand. The reality is things are changing. And yeah. our goal, I know you and I, Sean and Tom, remember the code, is just <laughs> to talk about it. So people think about it when when they read an article like that. Now, that was a long article and it was really actually well written. Um, but assumptions that I would say you have to challenge that assumption if you're reading it of that memo really isn't a bank replacement. Maybe it will be someday. You know, right. it really might be someday, but today it's not a bank replacement. Although I think, you know, um, one day you probably will see a lot of these apps allowing you to directly deposit money under their window. But I, I, that doesn't mean that it's safe, secure, or un, it doesn't also mean that it's unsafe or unsecure. It just right. means no, a different yeah. way to do it. Yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah. And it's, it's interesting. I mean, Zell gets thrown into those conversations a lot too. And the, the thing that's really fascinating with Zelle for people that like argue the whole like, oh, this is going to replace a bank is like, no, Zelle is actually like, there is no functionality with Zelle that is not through a bank. Um, it doesn't even hold money. It's literally just a messaging service yep. from one bank to the other. It's actually created yep. by banks <laughs> to, to help transfer money yeah. um, quickly. So, I mean, it's, there is this kind of like misconception. It's like, will it, will it alleviate having to go to a bank? probably but you know (laughs) i mean for me it's it's the it 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 feels like we we did what we should have done right we made what would be a traditional wire or movement of money make it very easy for regular uh, regular everyday people to do it yeah and and the funny thing is zella is my favorite we talked about this zella often comes up in the news about fraud but it's not actually Zello's issue. It, it's usually a, a, a consumer error that causes them opening because Zella is really just, to your point, it is true pay to peer to peer, right? They're just transferring back and forth. Venmo holds cash, so it is different. PayPal holds money, so it is different. But um, Cash App is, 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 I don't use Cash App personally, so I understand. But you know, Cash App is kind of a, a hybrid of all of them. But the reality here is it's it's just a, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to say this and probably people will disagree. A lot of it's about a convenience and payment choice, like how you want to do things. You know, um, to me, I've used PayPal for years and years and years because it's it was easier to just track all the online payments in one spot. Like I didn't have to worry about going back and looking at it. And I do, so I've used it for a long time. I don't keep money in PayPal though. I don't, I don't keep money in it. It's, it's, it's a, a method of, of transfer. And then Venmo, I remember the day I downloaded it, I was behind the you know, curve. Someone's like, Oh, I, I owe you money. I'll Venmo it to you. I'm like, huh? You know, I'm an old man. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. And then, <laughs> and it was, yeah. I downloaded it and I'm like, Oh wow. And then I saw like all the silly icons of people sharing money in the comments. And I'm like, this is a, <laughs> a clever way. And I'm a technology guy. So I knew about the app, but um, yeah. I knew how the app worked, but it was just never needed for me. Right. Like I just never needed it. Um, so, and then, yeah. You know, that I have pretty much, I use all of them at this point because now, much like anything else in the ecosystem, some people use Cash App, some people use Venmo, some people use this. So uh, when you travel internationally, I felt, I found how important PayPal was because 
in in certain places when I was in Asia, they couldn't take payment from me because I so I used PayPal. It was wild. It was like, you have PayPal? I'm like, yeah, okay, well, you can pay me a car service because we could you can't do WePay as a US citizen. So PayPal for me is something that I use and it's actually convenient. And I think I've had it, I mean, I since the beginning of time. I know it sounds crazy, you know, like I've had it for so long now. Um, and I did. I did take advantage of uh, PayPal had an offering when they first started offering to sell crypto to give you like a credit of a certain amount of money. And I did it because it was free. It was 200. They gave me like $200 of cryptocurrency for free. And I'm like, I'll do that. Like, you know, like yeah. that was the thing. So <laughs> I, I think it's, it's an interesting one. So switching gears a little, um, and this is not, not intentional. <laughs> I want to say this because it just happens to be what's on the, the docket to talk about. So block is, uh, you know, is actually the company that owns the cash app uh, and there's it, it cash app investing. And they had a, they had a little bit of a cyber incident. And I want to be clear, they didn't, it wasn't systems related, it was human related. So we talk a lot about risk. I talk about this a lot and how um, I actually did do this at the Bank Note conference, although it was very rushed about, you know, the, the, the insider threat issue with, with the, the magnitude of, we talk all the time in cyber world about, you know, outside attacks, but the reality is that, um, and depending on what study you use, and I say this because this number fluctuates somewhere between 60 and 90% of cyber related incidents start with a human within the four walls of the organization. Maybe they don't work for you, but they they have access. And what this has been all over the news, the New York times, the, the journal, everybody has really talked about this and it's been coming out as they had a, a former employee that, that took data. Um, took data that, that wasn't supposed to and, and exposed 44 million users information. Good thing here is, and, and I'm not trying to minimize this, but the data um, didn't, didn't include passwords, didn't include some things, but it did include username and all of those things. And this isn't a shot at blocker cash up. This could happen to anybody. It's just talking about when we're talking about all of these payment things, um, this could happen to a bank. This could happen to anybody that any, any of the things we've talked about, because this is someone that works for a company taking data and removing it for the, from the company. Um, and I think I'm gonna go out on a limb here, and this is my personal personal Tomian opinion, and so I'm excluding control tech and, and the cash news, but I, this is where I am a subject matter expert in it. I think Block is, is responding very well, but they're getting a lot of heat from something that the due diligence policy and systems actually probably wouldn't have changed. There was a, there was someone in inside that violated rules and policies and took something. And it's very easy. And I do this for a living from the outside to go after the cyber incident. Well, if you did these 85 things, it wouldn't have happened. If it was really that easy, every big company would do those 85 things. There, it, there are too many things that go on in that piece. And, um, they, they, a lot of the articles say, you know, one of the t- comments in the New York Times is financial companies that are not banks typically face far less scrutiny from regulators about their security systems than highly regulated banks. Well, I would argue that that statement could be true and it could not be true because highly regulated banks have very, very specific language of what they have to report and don't have to report, where non-regulated entities have a lot more liability when they don't report because a bank can point to the regulation and say, mm, I didn't actually have to report that. And that's an actual, that's a factual statement where a bank has very clear cut 
guidelines on what is considered an event and I need to report where a private entity has a lot more onus of liability because if they choose not to report something because it might not be that, they have a different liability where a bank can say, I followed the regulatory piece of it. So it's while I don't disagree with that statement, I personally have been involved as a consultant with institutions that go, do I need to report this? What is this classify of? And, and I talked about this at the bank, at the bank of currency is <laughs> using the word, the, the FBI defines a cyber incident as different than, you know, not breach, not data. And when you fall within the cyber incident category, then it's, then you need to really look at the risk because you may not have had a, a breach of information, but you may have had a, a breach of your system, but you may have had an information leak. You may have had a breach of a system and no information leak. It's still an incident. Whether you have to re- report it or not for a bank is very clear. Okay, I don't have to report this because nothing happened. This is what occurred. Um, where a private entity doesn't necessarily have that same type of guidance. That's changing rapidly right now because of some of the cyber instances that occurred. There are constant regulatory of what occurs but I think it's interesting because you have this very large company that is worth a lot of money that is faced with what a lot of companies deal with every day and they're in the spotlight. And um, this is a great example of what Sean and I all talk about is that statement by the New York Times is accurate. They don't face regulatory. And I, I, I'm a firm believer of regulatory and, and being involved, but I'm also a firm believer of if again, that, that same comment before, it's not that easy to just regulate everything and everybody. It doesn't make sense. You know, it's, it's not actually what you're supposed to do. Hey, what we talked about before about them not being a bank and some of the risks, this ties back right to what we're saying. They're not highly regulated. They are, they are whether they're public or a private company, they're not a bank. Why would they have the same regulations as a bank? Because they have consumer information. So there are already a whole bunch of consumer protection acts by state. California has one, New York has one. That so that's different. They fall within that guideline of consumer protection. You go to outside of the U.S., there's consumer protection. It's different than a financial institution. I used to work for a major corporation that we were a creditor. We owned our own credit, so we had different rules, different background check, different rules because of that. Now later on in life, we sold that off to a big bank, like a lot of people did. But when I started, we had a whole different investigations process because. We were providing credit ourselves. That was a business choice that we made, right? That was a business choice. So we knew what that was. When we switched, and I'm using very, very broad terms to a bank, our rules changed because we were no longer issuing credit. We were no longer storing that data. So I think it's important to know, we just talked about peer-to-peer payments. We just talked about all those things is as a consumer, just, just understand. I'm not telling you to read the 300 page term document. The basic understanding of is this a financial institution or not is important. And when you use, I think this leads, we talked about this before too, like a lot of these cryptocurrency exchanges, you and I could technically start a cryptocurrency exchange and and do it. You know, we don't actually need the regulation. What that means though, is that we don't have that same protection if you're, if you're working through a big person. Um, Now, obviously crypto, there's no protection, but when they're holding on, when you cash your money and keep it in their four walls, it's not the same as keeping it in the four walls of a financial institution. So I know I went on and on. I went on a little yeah. rant there. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's, it's relevant. And I think the other pieces, I think just because the the fintech kind of payment providers out there are not regulated like banks, 
does not mean that they're not safe or not sound. They're just different different risk profiles, right? They're they're just and and I think the the other piece is there's a reason that banks had trouble and still are having trouble developing innovative payment to payment P2P um, type solutions because of the constraints and so forth that they are under being regulated, right? They can't try these new things. So, I mean, it's in a way it's a, it's the, the only reason that, that the tech providers were able to develop this stuff is because they aren't regulated like a bank, right? (laughs) It's like, yeah, yeah, sure. I can put a a Venmo thing out there and uh, have it take money from Tom and give it to Sean and it holds it in the middle and all this sort of stuff. Um, Two banks couldn't do that. And it took, I mean, it, they couldn't develop it. I mean, the, the IT rules, the, the air gaps, the sandboxes, all that sort of stuff that they have to follow, uh, along with the approvals they need to get for new products and, and think it's a completely different world than a a Facebook or a Google or an Amazon or or anybody coming out there and saying, "Hey, I can develop this thing that plugs into your bank um, and takes some money and then delivers it to another bank, um, and they have the leeway to do that." Um, now, does it come with a little more risk? Sure, but that's Tom's point of you know just know what you're what you're getting, understand what you're getting, and what you're you're dealing with. Um, but I think in the end, it, it, I mean, that's where, you know, as the Fed continues to move on, we, we talked about this and we're going to talk about it more at a, at a conference we're doing in Athens in a couple months, the Central Bank Payments Conference. But, you know, as instant payments and faster payments get rolled out with central banks all over the world and, and the Fed coming along on that, you know, how does that play in this space, right? When, when the rails are changed between the banks so that there, there is... Uh, more real-time settlement and fast exchange of information between banks. What does that mean for all these third-party providers? Um, do they still have a, a place to play? Will will then banks be able to create these things themselves, given that the settlement service is running fast um, at that point in time? Don't know. It's going to be a different world, um, and and we'll have to see what that means for these for these uh, third-party apps when the when the rails that the banking system really runs on uh, modernized. So we'll, we'll see. Um, so that we've got, you know, one, one topic with central banks sitting on it, talking about um, kind of this faster payments, real-time payments and what that means for not only digital currencies, um, but just the payment system and, you know, in general uh, and, and the big techs and how that interplays. Um, and it's interesting in some of the, the more developing economies, we're looking at it from a, from a, well, what does, uh, CBDC or, or faster payments, you know, how does that play into the mobile money market that's kind of developed in a lot of these these other countries around the world? So, I mean, it's it's an interesting payments ecosystem out there that that we just have to keep keep looking at. Um, you know, I know we we've been talking for a while. Um, you know, might might hold this for a, a future one, but I might foreshadow. I'm going to try to get um, kind of shifting gears back to cash a little bit. The, the paper stuff um, that that we love and to deal with. Um, and uh, I did just see today, I think, um, Selen and Bob Mira over there put out a, a new report on the on what's going on with remote cash capture and, and how that's progressing at retail. Um, you know, I didn't have a chance to look at it thoroughly yet. I mean, the, the headlines seem to be in line with, with what we're with what we've talked about before. Um, I think we'll talk about that on a future episode. And I've, I've already reached out to, to 
to Bob to see if he wants to come and join us as a, as a guest. We might bring Bob on um, to talk about it himself rather than just hear me and Tom um, talking about it. So, so stay tuned for that. Um, I think that's coming up. And otherwise, I think we might be pretty good to wrap today. Tom, what do you think? I agree. I think we're good. I think um, I just want to put a tail on what you said, because I agree with everything what you said about the payments piece. Um, and I, I just echo what you said also is um, by no means any of those companies that I mentioned do I think aren't safe. I actually use all but one of them. And the only reason I don't use one of them is because I've never just done it. Um, and it's not, there's no negative piece to it. And I would also argue that, and this is again a Tommy and statement that's a payment. I find that a lot of large private companies do a, a really good job of having more robust um, cybersecurity because they understand that the reliability is there. So I very, I, I, in this day and age with a large company, I, I don't, can't remember the last time I've dealt, worked with a large corporation that doesn't go far beyond what the minimum due diligence is for cyber. Um, and uh, I would say that I'm making a general statement, a blanket statement when I say that, but um, I deal with a lot of large, huge, you know, fortune 10 companies even. And, and, and um, in the private sector, I would argue that I see um, really, really robust cybersecurity strategies, certainly where there's regulation, um, they have a different approach, but I, I literally can't remember the last time I've come to a company and go, oh my goodness, uh, 10 years ago, uh, that was not the case. Even five years ago, I'm not sure I would say that's the case, but today um, I would say a lot of the, the publicly held companies uh, and privately held companies have just as good and small. That doesn't mean they have the budgets and the people and all those things, but I'd say that the bigger companies really are, are matched well. So um, Sean and Tom is the code, right? We know that. Yep. Uh, yep. We're going to we're gonna deliver some things uh, via LinkedIn and, and uh, social media. I think uh, we have a new producer who's hiding behind the scenes. Uh, Chris, who's going to help deliver the message in social media probably differently than we've done in, in the past. Um, we'll continue to drive the message. I'm not going to Athens because I, I wasn't invited. But, um, <laughs> so, uh, but it, 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 I would like to go to Athens, but I'll, I'll, I'll see everybody. Uh, certainly, um, is it November, Sean? Is that San Diego? Uh, definitely, yeah. November in San Diego. Yeah, that's our, our cash cycle seminar. So that one is all about the cash cycle. It's what's yeah, happening so with, we'll, with we cash. Will, when, yeah. I will definitely be there, and we will definitely be there as the cash news as well. Um, I think Control Tech will be there as well, right? So I think Indeed. you're going to yes. get to yep. see. Yeah. It's a trip. It's it's not even the triple throughout. It's the quadruple. Threat. <laughs> the quadruple. We're going to we'll all, be there with every every banner, every name. Uh, we'll tape the podcast. We'll we'll really um, continue to show our support for the industry together. So that's exciting. I know November sounds like it's so far away, but man, time sneaks flies. up on you. Yeah, sneaks up on yeah, you. Yeah. And uh, for everybody that's listening. We say it all the time. Please, please, please like, subscribe. We're on every platform. So it doesn't matter what you listen to. Um, like, if you're watching this, which I know we don't have as much viewership, we're going to probably expand a little bit on our video side and utilize the LinkedIn channels to help us there. But um, it's getting warm. Enjoy the spring. And uh, Sean, man, have a great week. I know we'll talk next week. And uh, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, everybody have a good a good week. And uh, as Tom said, we'll we'll see you or uh, you can hear us uh, next time.
Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Cash News Podcast. We hope you found this episode insightful. Don't forget to like and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter, and be sure to visit us at thecashnews.com to stay up to date with the latest on the world of cash. Thanks again for listening to the Cash News Podcast.